I went to Norway to give a talk and I was just telling people like, yeah, this is what my life kind of looks like. You know, this is how much content I create. And they said, how are you not completely burned out? And I sort of stopped for a second and I said, actually, I'm fried to a crisp. What does it really take to become successful as a writer or artist? There are a lot of destructive myths out there about what a creative career is supposed to look like. We're told we shouldn't care about worldly success or money. We're told that if we're good enough, everything would magically fall into place. That's a lie, and it keeps us struggling, baffled, and hungry for any shred of information that might shed light on how to keep making the work we love. That's why I get any two artists or writers or any creatives really together in a room and it's a foregone conclusion that the conversation will turn to money and the nitty-gritty reality of being a professional creative. I'm cartoonist and creative business coach Jessica Abel. In my own life, those studio visit back-channel conversations with other artists where we share our insights and hacks, anxieties and red flags have been critical to any success I've achieved. And now I'm bringing that conversation to you. This is The Autonomous Creative. My guest today is Sonia Simone. Sonia is a writer, marketer, and teacher, and she was a founding partner of Rainmaker Digital back when it formed as Copyblocker Media in 2010. Sonia's specialty is crafting marketing content that, quote, doesn't require you to choose between your soul and the success of your business, which I love kind of a lot. I met Sonia in 2017 when her podcast, Copyblogger FM, popped up in my mentions with a thoughtful response to my then-new book, Growing Gills. I reached out to thank her and ended up appearing on her podcast. It was a great conversation, and it really opened my perspective to the way so many creative pros who are far outside my own background as cartoonist and writer really struggle with the same kind of issues of building and maintaining a creative practice. Sonia has successfully navigated two major career pivots, one taking her from the corporate world to copyblogger, and the second mostly leaving Copyblogger to build her own business, Remarkable Communication. Now she's running a community, launching a course, and designing a new site all about building an ethical business from a creative point of view. And I'm so happy to have her here today to find out all the inner workings of a unique career that spans client work, teaching, coaching, and self-generated creative work. We'll get right into it after this. This episode of The Autonomous Creative is brought to you by The Creative Engine. I talk to working creative people all the time, both on the show and in our membership, the Autonomous Creative Collective, and one of the biggest challenges they struggle with is procrastination. To most people, it feels like it's just a permanent character flaw, like they were born that way and doomed to suffer, but that's just absolutely untrue. Art is hard, yes, and we will all feel resistance to using that much cognitive energy on anything. But procrastination typically stems from specific root causes that are totally fixable. If your creative work is essential to you and who you are and your life, yet you still struggle with procrastination and it just feels like this is crazy, I want to invite you to check out the free Creative Engine Masterclass. This class will help you overcome your resistance and put your priorities first before you're derailed by everything else. The Creative Engine is a complete, simple, straightforward, and powerful framework that will help you pinpoint where your creative process breaks down and highlight exactly how to fix it. In it, you'll master the four essential phases of the creative process you need to produce awesome work reliably. And you're probably skipping at least one, possibly two. You'll learn how to predict and avoid the pitfalls that derail you time and time again. 
and you'll overcome self-sabotage, take back control, and keep moving even when things get really challenging. This class is totally free and you will get immediate deep clarity into what makes your creative life tick. So stop procrastinating and start finishing your most important creative projects by harnessing the power of your own creative engine at jessicaable.com slash engine. That's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-A-B-E-L dot com slash engine. Now let's start the show. Sonia, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited. I will attempt to uh, to be cool with my fangirling, but yeah, I just I, I dig your work. I dig your voice. I dig your books. It's just um, super, super jazzed to be here. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Okay, so let's dive right in because I know there's just there's a lot of story in your story, and I want to get into all the yeah. details. So, first of all, let's just set the scene for today. What is your work life now like? What do you do all day these days? Yeah, these days, um, and of course, everything we all do is so informed by COVID and remote, et cetera, et cetera. My days are primarily spent. Um, I lead a community of mostly writers and mostly content writers. So people who write blog posts, freelance copywriters, that kind of thing. And I lead uh, multiple sessions a week where we do virtual co-working which is kind of cool and crazy and weird. Um, and we sit down together and get work done. About every other month, I do a workshop for those people. So I've done workshops on, um, I do a lot on creative writing for business writers. So kinds of things, like if you went to college and took a creative writing course, adding texture, working with metaphor, adding more music to your words. So that's something I teach regularly. I teach journaling for business writers. I teach blogging strategy for more creative people, email strategy. And the next workshop I'm going to be leading is on what I'm calling path to client. So just creating that website so you can send clients there and not just cringe (laughs) because I found so many such talented writers in my community and they hate their own website. I mean, it's that cliche, the cobbler's children have no shoes cliche. It's so true. And so all these great, talented, capable writers, they hate their own website because it's got weird stuff in it and it's got a lot of the wrong thing and not enough of the right thing. And, um, and then when we start talking about something like reaching out to clients, they have to like lie down in a dark room with like a cold compress on their eyes. And like everything I've ever done, honestly, in the marketing space has been because it's like, oh Lord, I understand how hard that is. It's hard for me. It's all been sort of (laughs) self-care. So that's what I do. It seems I just help people who have the problems I have. It seems like you come at it from both ends. Like you come at it from the make things more creative and infuse it with your own personality, your own voice. And on the other hand, what what are the strategic objectives of the writing that you're doing and how do you align those with your own voice, which is something I very much identify with and we do as much as we can as well in my own own work and with my students. And we also do virtual co-working. So a lot of the same kind of stuff going on. I, I I think it's so powerful to be in a virtual room with people and have that chance to yeah. kind of 
be vulnerable and ask the questions that feel really embarrassing and really hard to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I sent my email list when I when I reminded them about this event. I said, you know, you and I are sort of building the bridge from from both banks of the river. And it's not even opposite banks of the river. It's just both banks of one river. But the other thing that I have, I, I feel really privileged about is I have been a freelance business writer looking for clients and I have been the client. I have hired writers. I have gone out and put out ads for writers and paid people to write things. And so that helps a lot because I know how awful it is. And I also know how tough it is to find good writers. Um, and to identify them, right? To know yeah. if the person you're talking to, I mean, they may be great at something, but are they going to be yes. the person you need? Mm-hmm. And that is really, really hard. I found that too as hiring people. Yeah. Um, quite difficult. Yeah. So compare this, if you could, to your life like three years ago when you were working with Copyblogger. I think the tasks, a lot of the tasks are the same. I put on my mic, I log on to a system, I teach something, I I answer some questions, um, I connect with people. That is very similar. I don't write as much as I did. I added it up. And I'm, and I'm dropping this number all the time because it blew my mind so much. I sat down and just with my calculator said, okay, well, I've done about this many um, classes because I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many classes. I did this many podcasts-ish. I did this many blog posts. I, I know that because I can go into my systems. If I kind of back of the envelope it, I wrote about 1.3 million words for Copyblogger and remarkable communication. I mean, I'm probably 1.1 for Copyblogger and the rest for for my my side. Whoa, you know, yeah. but that was a long time. That was 10 years too. Yeah. When you do something for 10 years, it adds up. It's one of the things I think that writers forget or content creators, yeah. artists of any kind forget. They forget how much they have, how much they've done, yeah. how much experience they have, how much they know. It's really easy to focus on the last little thing you did and say – did this hit? Did it not hit? Did I reach my goals with it? Whatever. And forget that you, I mean, I'm developing a new coaching program right now. And it's made me go back to the beginning of my big pivot to doing what I'm doing now with Autonomous Creative. Mm -hmm. And this, I just actually, I literally was going through some stuff because we're going to be moving soon. I went through a notebook that was from, I think, 2015. And it said, idea, have a podcast about how creatives make it work. That was when I was working on my old podcast, Out on the Wire, I had this note to myself. And so, and there's all of this, I wrote a blog post in 2050, a couple of blog posts. There's a whole scrivener full of stuff that I haven't even cracked yet that I know is full of me at that point and all of the thoughts that I had and all of the things that, that drove me then are exactly the things I need to know now. And it was really by chance that I stumbled on something. Uh, on this blog post from 2015 and read it again. Instead of just going like, oh yeah, I did that blog post. I actually read it and I was like, oh my God, that is it. That's the Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of resonances are so reinforcing. And I'm sure that you've had this too, where it's like you go back and you think, wow, if I was thinking exactly the same way six years ago that I'm thinking now and identified exactly the same problem that I wanted to work on and fix for myself and for other people, it must be real. 
you know, to come back yeah. around to it organically like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have anybody in, like, if you have anybody in your life that you've known since they were little, we don't change that much. You know, you, you know, somebody and he's all 30 and big and hairy and has kids, but he's just the same guy he was when he was a little three-year-old guy, you know? And I think we, we do, we have themes, we have, there's sort of a, a core or a strand at the center of us. And yeah, we keep discovering it and rediscovering it. Well, and that needs to be, I'm sure that's what you help your clients with too, is like find that yeah. thing. That is the thing. Like that is what needs to mm -hmm. drive you and drive your communication with the world because that's what's most true. And there'll be people who respond to that and those are the right people. I mean, that's kind of the basics, right? Yeah, exactly. And so much of coaching, and I, I know that you found the same thing is, I mean, there's an old, there's an old saying from corporate consulting, which is another thing I've done. I've done a lot of things. And in that world, they say that a consultant is someone who borrows your watch to tell you what time it is. It's sort of a, it's like a, an insult, but it's like, no, if you can't see your watch clearly, someone taking it and saying, let me help you see what time it is, is incredibly valuable. And so much of coaching is, is just holding up a mirror and saying, this is how I see you. Does any of this sound familiar? And people's minds are blown and we have to work. And I know this is such a theme for you. We have to work together. And the extent to which things are broken is because good people don't work together enough. We're all trying to reinvent our own wheel. And I don't know, it's like, it's not hard enough. I think I'm going to make it a little harder for myself. <laughs> and, you know, like yeah. what I'm doing can't be the right thing because it feels natural. So let me hurt myself some more and see if that helps. And it's really, you know, let's work together. Let's give each other a hand. We're better than we think we are. We've done more than we think we've done. We've created value. and we. But we have to remind one another because all the narcissists and sociopaths, like they're clear, right? They're super clear on what they're going to do. And the people who are not narcissists and sociopaths, we need a community to help us mm -hmm. not feel lost. For sure. Yes, very much. And so speaking of coaching, you're going to be uh, launching a course soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. This uh, interesting new platform, they're called Maven. Um, they're co-founded by a woman named Wes Ko, who's like this total gangster who worked with Seth Godin on his old MBA program. And it's a platform specifically for cohort-based learning. And I've really done an informal cohort-based learning for a long time where we just get small groups together and really talk to each other and, and communicate with each other and help each other out. This just has a few tools that are interesting, so I'm trying them out. But yeah, the next course will be that Path to Client course about helping freelance business writers have a more natural, less cringeworthy path to finding their clients mm -hmm. and focused on, you know, find one, if you can find one or two new clients a month, you're in great shape. As long as you're charging enough. <laughs> as long as you're charging enough. Yeah. yeah. Finding one or two more like $200, 10 hour projects. Let's not do that. Right. But, um, <laughs> um, Okay, so let's let's go back a little bit. So now we have the picture now, we kind of get a picture of what kind of teacher and coach you are, what you're focused on. Let's go back to the beginning. 
what were you doing? So the story, this the story out there, which you can tell us, is that you were a fangirl for Brian Clark's work with Copyblogger, and you wrote him, you DM'd him on Twitter or something like that. What were you doing then? Like, what was your life like? If you can tell us a little bit about it and how did it affect you, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So I was, I had a very, you know, a quite good corporate gig. Uh, it was a content marketing gig, but we didn't say content marketing back in the day. So I was managing a team of writers. We were writing, we were essentially writing guidebooks for a luxury travel company. The pay was pretty decent. It was very creative, but I was, I was, it was not a great fit. It just wasn't a great fit from a couple of standpoints. The CEO was like 20 years younger than I was. And he just, I just made him uncomfortable as hell. So he was just like, you know, like, it was not a good match. I was sort of bored and terrified at the same time. And that seems like a weird combination if you haven't worked in corporate recently. But it's actually pretty pretty normal for anybody who marches to a slightly different drummer in corporate. The work was kind of repetitive and there was a ton of politics that I wasn't very good at. I get the board and I and I understand terrified in some ways, but what specifically was terrifying for you in that situation? You know, at that time, okay, I started working. So I had my baby when I was at that job. So I had a little, a very small person and I was constantly worried I was going to get fired because I was such a weird square peg and that, you know, everybody there was just sort of like, beautiful young people doing beautiful young people things. And like all the sales guys were sleeping with all the girls in marketing. <laughs> it was just like, and I was just not, it's not like where I was in my life. Every single, so I was in the marketing department. Every other woman in marketing had been a cheerleader in high school. Oh, Everyone. Yeah. Right. Wow. And so I was gangster good at my job but I still was pretty sure I was going to get fired any second. And I had this little person, you know, and my husband was a stay-at-home dad. And so, yeah, so I was really worried about getting the mortgage paid. And then we hit 2008. So my son would have been three. Uh, global economic meltdown. We, my company, stopped being able to sell this $100,000 travel, luxury travel product. Mm. And layoffs, cascading layoffs in marketing. And I was sort of a, a cross between marketing and operations, but still, I was very nervous. And right kind of when my son was born, Copyblogger was born. Brian was birthing Copyblogger over on his world. Um, and I was a super fangirl and reading his stuff. I had a side hustle. I had a side, I had a blog. I didn't exactly know what to do with it, but it seemed like there was this thing called copywriting for businesses that I could probably do. Maybe I was doing already. I didn't even know. And so, yeah, so Brian's, Brian's blog helped me be strategic about writing for businesses, writing to get clients, what needed to be on a website to convert into business. And I brought a lot of that into my day job and it really helped me be really good at my, really, really good at my day job. I wrote all of their website copy and it was good. Um, I had a salesperson come in one time. I wrote all of their website copy for the public. I also wrote all of their 
website copy for their super high dollar clients. Mm. So all the, you know, behind a paywall copy. And I had a salesperson come in and say, who wrote the copy for this new release of this new fabulous place we had things? And I said, I did. And he said, wow, you're a really good word put together. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm totally getting that on a business card at some point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I think this is the right moment for that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, Wow, really good word you. put together. Word put together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's okay, I've been but, doing that ever since. Yeah. Let me um, drill down a little bit, though, because I feel like um, not everybody who's listening will know what copy blogger really is and what, who Brian Clark is. Yeah. How is it like this is 2008, 2000, whatever, seven. Yeah. How is what he's doing, writing about copywriting and, and helping copywriters get better at what they do? How is it different from other things that are out there? So at the time, and the thing about CopyBlogger, I like to, to flatter Brian wildly by saying he's kind of like the Velvet Underground, because when he started, he was like, what the hell is that even doing? And now it just looks like, yeah, you know, that looks like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of things, because a lot of things sounded like that. <laughs> but he was, you know, CopyBlogger was the intersection of copywriting, writing to persuade, writing to sell something. And blogging, which at that time was very much writing for self-expression, mm. writing to be part of the conversation. And I actually came out of, I got online in 1989. Oh, my Lord. Um, and I was very part, much part of that wave of, you know, virtual community. And I was on The Well. And I was on Genie. Those real early adopters. Actually, before the World Wide Web, there was an internet, which is like, I know. What? I was there. It was all text. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? What? There was internet back in the day? Yeah. You know, and, and so that was very text-driven, very self-expression-driven, very commercialism was kind of like, you know, what was wrecking what we were doing. And that whole attitude of, you know, the bastards are wrecking it was a thing that people, those are us early adopters of using the internet to talk to people far away, had to wrestle with if we wanted to not starve. So that, I think, was where Brian was really one of the first big names at that intersection. Darren Rouse was another one at ProBlogger. Eventually, we ended up doing a cool project and partnering with him. You know, Seth Godin's like our, our patron saint. So, yeah, there was just sort of a, a group of people saying you could use this Internet thing to find clients without just being a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, offering value yeah. in a way that's going to also help people understand what you can do. Yeah. So then how did you reach out to him? I mean, were like, did you lose your job? <laughs> or did you just try to I quit before I I quit before I got fired. Nice. I quit before I got fired. The layoffs were were massive. <laughs> We went through, my company went through three layouts and uh, three rounds of layouts, many of which were in my department. That's just a fun time for anybody. That's really great when you see good friends who are incredibly good at their jobs get laid off and you're still there. That's great. Um, so, yeah, so I um, said sarcastically, I assume. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. It was very, very hard. And, you know, part of how we learn that we could do hard things is by surviving hard things. So, yeah, so I, 
I reached out to, I was such a fangirl. I was, I was totally pathetic. It was pitiful. I had like linked to Copyblogger a lot. So Brian had noticed me. I had bought his program, which was so cheap. It was like, I might've been $50 a month back in the day. It was really cheap when he launched it. And then I was all over his forums. I'm a total geek is a thing you have to know about me. I am the world's biggest dork. Pretty much, I'm not, and I have I have hyper focus on things that excite me, and so if I see something and I think that's cool, I go like 150 percent on it, and I make an embarrassing fool of myself about it. And I was doing that with Copyblogger, and I was in teaching sales, and I was like the unpaid TA, which is always what I do, and like answering questions in the forums, and like being extra, <laughs> being too much. And um, so Brian, I was visible; he saw me. And I had to get a little bit drunk to send him a DM on Twitter and say, I have a copyblogger, so amazing. Could I ever write for copyblogger? Maybe sometime ever. I don't know. And he said, yeah, that sounds great. Why don't you write for us every week? I was like, fuck, you know? (laughs) So that ushered in the era of me writing for copyblogger once a week, sending them my best stuff because that's where the biggest room was. The biggest room was there. He had a ton of traffic. He only, and that just kept accelerating. So why not put your best stuff in front of the biggest room? I was really reliable. I never missed a deadline. I missed plenty of my own deadlines, but I never missed a deadline for Copyblogger. That meant I was in front of a lot of people every week. So when I decided it was safer to launch my own community than to stay in this job that was going to fire me any second and mess up my confidence. I did that. I jumped. And as we know, in the US, if you jump like the second of the month, you get um, health insurance for a whole month that you don't have to pay for. I mean, the the, the shenanigans we we uh, we learn. And uh, yeah, and then just just kept running. <laughs> so were you freelance at that point or how did you join the company? Yeah. Join the company? I mean, you became, you know, a founder and then you were a part owner. So how, yeah. how did that all work? It just worked. I was, first I was a contributor to Copyblogger, not paid, just showing up once a week. Um, one of the things that I always thought oh, was so cool. So when you first Copyblogger, were writing, you weren't getting paid, you were just. I wasn't getting paid. Oh, Okay. And their model was, and as far as I know, still is, I don't, I'm not sure, was they don't, they occasionally pay contributors, but usually they don't, but they are super cool about promoting your thing. So you are there, you are there for exposure. You do write for exposure and, and you get quality exposure because you put links in back to your stuff. And if you have something to sell, you can write a post that says, I have something to sell. This is what you're going to get out of it. This is what you should do next. And Brian doesn't give you this like, because there are some sites out there that don't pay you and they also don't let you promote. That's kind of BS, you know, I think. So I, I didn't get paid for the posts I wrote for Copyblogger, but I could promote my stuff. I could promote my blog and I could promote my paid thing. Mm. And that filled my paid thing quite handily. What was your paid so, thing? That was the Remarkable Marketing Blueprint. That was the first thing. It was probably 2008. It was probably 2008. might have been 2009 because the meltdown was October 2008. So it might have been like early 2009. It was just a, a little community, X dollars a month. 
I would do a lesson every week. And then we talked a lot. We had a forum. We talked a lot. It was, and there are still people who self-identify as they were the original and remarkables. And then there were the sort of, I don't know, evolving remarkables. Or I, I don't remember the second set. Um, but that was a cohort-based course. I mean, it wasn't called that, but that's what it was. And people had an identity. And some awesome people, Pamela Wilson was an original remarkable. Andrea Vall was a remarkable. There's some very gangster people. I think, I'm pretty sure Beth Hayden was a remarkable. There's some super fabulous people, not all of whom are women. Um, Hashim Warren, I think. So yeah, I launched that community. And then I became part of the staff, the paid staff, the, a partner of Teaching Cells, which was Brian's community. And then we part, we, we just partnered on more and more projects. And at a certain point, Brian had so many partners. He was like, I can't keep track of all these partnerships. <laughs> and we just put them, we sat down in a room, five people, me and four dudes, and created Copyblogger Media LLC. Mm. And that's what became Rainmaker Digital. And then I think it's Copyblogger Media again. Um, but that was the, we're all in, you know, all for one and one for all. So that's when it became formalized. It wasn't a partnership on like an individual course or something, but you were a part owner of. We were, we were LLC. formal partners on teaching cells at some at, at a point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were former partners at teaching cells, and I was running the blueprint. And then at some point, we just kind of consolidated all of these agreements and and structures into one, and just. Everybody had a stake and everybody did what they were good at. And that's those, those were the big days of launching. We launched a community called the Third Tribe. And it is the one time, you know, when they say like, I opened the doors and the servers kept crashing because so many people wanted in. That was that. Mm. Yeah, it was intense. It was craziness. I know you're deeply committed to your creative work, and yet when it comes time to make the thing, it's like you short circuit. Your inner critic comes roaring out and shuts you down. You find your attention dragged off by some other shiny new object. You can't stop feeling guilty and that you should be focusing on paid work. Your clients, your children, friends, boss, parents constantly demand your attention. Here's the thing, there is nothing wrong with you. There's just a breakdown somewhere in your creative engine and you can repair it. I want to invite you to join me for the free Creative Engine Masterclass where you'll learn which tactics will backfire when you're trying to get traction on self-generated creative projects and what to do instead. The four essential phases of the creative process you must implement to produce awesome work reliably and you're probably skipping at least one. The good news hidden in your long history of valiant efforts to make your creative life work, how to diagnose what's off track and keep moving on your work, even when things get really challenging, and the secret to how to predict and avoid the pitfalls that derail you time and time again. This class is totally free and you will get immediate, deep clarity into what makes your creative life tick and the specific next step to take to harness the power of your own creative engine. So stop procrastinating and start finishing your most important creative projects when you join the Creative Engine Masterclass at jessicaabel.com slash engine. That's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-A-B-E-L dot com slash engine. Okay, back to the show.
So the copy blogger LLC moment happens a couple years after you start working with copy blogger. Yeah, I think it was probably somewhere between 2010, 2012, somewhere in there. So you have a small child and your spouse is a stay-at-home parent, right? Where are you getting health insurance from? Like, how are you paying your mortgage? Is it that your own course was sufficiently robust from the very beginning that you could do that independently? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it was it was a squeak sometimes, but yeah, I I stayed on Cobra for a little while because it was sort of good enough. So that's six months maybe. Mm-hmm. So I was on my old business's health insurance, and then yeah, just self employed health insurance for a while, and then Copy Blogger Media. Once we consolidated, one of the things we did was one of our partners was really smart about that. <laughs> so he went out and got us like. I got our company health insurance and one of our partners had a big team. So we had a, so one of our partners was studio press Genesis WordPress, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, we were like, Brian and I were sort of talking and it's like, if we could get anybody in WordPress to be a WordPress theme partner, who would be our dream partner? It's like, well, it would be Genesis, but we probably can't get Genesis, but we can try. Mm -hmm. And we did. And we did. So, yeah. So we had a big enough team to make, Growing up health insurance makes sense and get an okay rate. Yeah. But yeah, how how do you get health insurance is the question. And it's gotten it's also gotten harder since then. It was less it was terrible then, but it was not as terrible as it is now. Mm. So that's not good news. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, we we have the so we have the ACA now. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. is that's a, that's that is helpful. Yeah, for sure. So Okay, let's then move. So then you're with Copy Blogger officially for, you know, a company employee, like a part owner and employee of the company for on the order of 10-ish years. When is the point at which you, and you started podcasts there, so you're doing a bunch of different things. Did you invent your own role when you were there? To some degree. I mean, to some degree, yes, I invented my own role because I'm so... I have such an inconvenient brain that sometimes the role that's been assigned to me, I don't really necessarily perceive. (laughs) So I would just keep doing what I was good at. But yeah, I mean, there was a time when I was doing two podcasts. So I had Copyblogger FM, which was, you know, obvious enough. And then I had a, I had a podcast called the pink haired confessions of a pink haired marketer. That was more my voice, my way of doing things. Uh, We had for a while, we had a podcast network. So we had a couple of dozen podcasts that we were running. Um, I was writing about a post a week and I was creating one piece of premium content a week for our community. And so that community underwent a few identity shifts. And it's, I was talking about this in 2019, September, 2019. I went to Norway to give a talk at a, at a group called the Slow Business Adventure, which was another amazing pivot in my life. And I was just telling people like, yeah, this is what my life kind of looks like. You know, this is how much content to create. And they said, how are you not completely burned out? And I sort of stopped for a second. And I said, actually, I'm fried to a crisp. (laughs) I'm completely burned out. I don't know how I'm standing upright at the moment, but it was like, 
honestly, until that person asked me that question, I hadn't really twigged to how creatively exhausted I was. I was producing way too much work. Mm-hmm. That is a ton. I mean, two podcasts and two content, you know, significant content pieces per week, at least. And then I'm sure whatever else. It's a huge plus, amount. Plus, yeah, plus, man, you know, I've got an editorial meeting every week. So thank God I had Stephanie Flaxman, who's the, still the editor-in-chief for, for Copyblogger, and she really takes that editor-in-chief role very seriously, and she's really good at it. So she was, thank God, managing what was getting onto the blog and making sure it was excellent. But I still had sort of a publisher's role of informing the vision, managing people, helping make sure that the people who worked on our editorial side understood what what do we stand for? What do we love? What do we not love so much? You know, if something gets published, it's like, we kind of don't do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, doing that hopefully in a, I hope in a compassionate way, in a respectful way. So yeah, I, I was, it's absurd. Don't do that. Please do not ever do that. Anybody. So, I mean, it's a stupid, terrible thing to do. And you had invented your own job and you invented this for yourself. Yeah. So how did that, I mean, like, did you ever look and go like, what were the, because at first you're doing one free article a week. And I'm sure yeah. each of these pieces got added bit by bit. Can you can you think back to like was there a moment when you 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 realized like you could have gone a different way? I didn't realize I could have gone a different way until I had sold my interest in the company. It's a com. It's like a combination of real major imposter syndrome, and it doesn't. It's not logical at all because really, Copyblogger is about the content. It's about the creative work that we put out, the paid work, and then the free work, which is how we get the paid work. And how it didn't occur to me that I was doing this massive amount of this work, I don't know. (laughs) But it was like anytime anybody said, would you do that? You know, so the podcast, we sort of wound the podcast network down because it was a massive amount of work and money. And it was like not generating tons of business. So at a certain point, Robert Bruce, who was managing the podcast network, was like, we're contracting and we're going to take you down to one. And I was like, all super sad. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll give up. I love that podcast. It makes me sad to give it up, but I'll give it up. So yeah, they kind of pried it out of my hands, I guess. But um, no, I can't tell you why, because... Now, in in retrospect, it seems completely preposterous. Why would I not? I was an owner. Why would I not? Why would I keep doing that to myself? But and so the, your answer to this, I mean, and again, I'm sure a lot of this is inchoate. Like you're not really thinking it through. But like you, how did it occur to you to to leave and sell your interest? Like, what was that moment like? What was that moment where I need to, you needed to pivot? And obviously it didn't occur to you until afterwards, like, oh, maybe I could have just changed my job. I mean, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was a process. It was, it was actually, you know, I sold it the same way that I got into it, which was things kind of happened. We developed an interest in selling part, uh, in selling Studio Press because we were sort of all in on other things. And I think, 
we could have done more for, for, I don't know. We just, it's, it wasn't where we were focused as a company. So it seemed to make more sense. Why don't we sell studio press to somebody who is just going to like go stay all in on studio press. So we sold that piece first and yeah, we sort of came to a moment where it was either, we were either going to contract or sell. We were either going to simplify because things were way too complicated. We had developed this big company because we had, and then we sold, we sold Rainmaker, the platform. So we had this big infrastructure for this little company. It was sort of strange thing. So yeah, we were either going to contract it radically or we were going to sell it. And those were both options. And Daryl Vesterfeld showed up and said, I'd really like to buy it. I'd like, I'd like to buy your interest. And it was, um, I don't know. It was like, Hard for me to say goodbye to the traffic. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so much traffic. So, yeah, you know, I kind of almost flipped a coin. I almost flipped a coin. Daryl showed up and Daryl showed up and said, I would buy this. And it seemed less exhausting to go ahead and sell that to Daryl. Rest for a while. Just rest on the cash for a little while, which I did. I just really did, didn't do a lot for about a year. And then, of course, we had a global pandemic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I sold my interest summer of 2019. I rested for a while. I did some things, but I, I wasn't, there wasn't a lot of financial pressure because I had the uh, little bit of cash from the sale. I didn't walk away with like Tahiti money. You know, I'm not buying an island. I'm not Richard Branson. But um, I had enough to take a, a break and um, went to Slow Business Adventure, fell in love with them, fell in love with that idea mm-hmm. of slow business as a practice. Pandemic hit in January. And um, I started working with people on finding focus. Pamela Wilson once in a post she wrote for copy bloggers said, quoted a, a quote from a song that's in Spanish, that you find the path by walking. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. I feel like it was around then that you joined Creative Focus Workshop too. And probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably in that same moment of thinking, like, how which way am I going with this? And I at the time I was like, wow, Sonia's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's she planning to do? I don't even know. Um I didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. It sounds a little bit like you I mean, let me try to get my brain around this. Like you as you joined Copy Blogger and then grew your role there and took on various things and kind of ended up with this job that was bigger than it needed to be. It sounds like CopyBlogger as a company almost did that, where it just kept taking on projects and people and ideas and became bigger and more sprawling than it needed to be, and then had to go through the same process of kind of pairing away. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. I think that happens um, a lot, actually, in creative careers. And I'm sure a lot of people who are here can resonate with that, that, you know, there's a lot of things that we do almost automatically. We say yes to too many things. We just kind of and then yeah. they don't go away unless you make them go away because yeah. we're good at what we do. And so people don't want to get rid of us. You know, <laughs> It's like and if you want to end that part of your life, you have to take action to extricate well, yourself. And, and it can hurt, right? You're saying like losing your podcast, it was painful. It's painful. Well, and I'll tell you the part that I'll, I'll tell you the hardest one is when you it's is when it's an employee, mm. when you bring someone on to help you out. And they're great and they're really wonderful at their job. And then you pair away the thing they used to do 
I won't say I got good at it, but I got a lot better at it. That's a very difficult thing to get better at. These things are not always like so pretty mm-hmm. and it's not all, you know, and, and so much of, so much of the time, what we call marketing, what we mean by marketing is lying <laughs> about how everything is just great. And there's that great phrase that growth for its own sake is the, is the ideology of the cancer cell. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't keep growing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. And things grow and then they get to a point where they then contract or die or split off or become something else. And it's it's not a painless process. Yeah. I always think of that um, video game, what's it called? Katamari Damacy, where the little guy is like rolling stuff up. <laughs> Have you ever mm. seen that one? It's like a very funny video game, one of the few that I actually like, where there's this little teeny weeny guy and he takes a little ball and he starts rolling it around on a desktop and he rolls up like paper clips and erasers and um, and then it's like coffee cups and then it falls off the table and it's rolling up shoes and whatever. And then eventually it's rolling up like trees and houses and then the entire planet. And it's just this yeah. kind of just keeps – the point is to roll up the universe. And <laughs> sometimes I feel like that's what we're doing when we create – I don't know, a creative life period, but especially a creative business where it's like, oh, I love to have this offer and I'll try that thing and I'll bring this thing on and I'll have that, you know, tactic and I'll try whatever. And um, you end up with this teeny weeny little person trying to push a giant ball around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Okay. So it seems very clear to me that you had reached a point with your second career at Copyblogger where you had unwittingly gotten to, you loved it, everything was great, but at the same time, you had just like, it had got, it gotten out of hand and you weren't able to have balance and then you needed to rebalance. Um, so what does it look like now for you? I mean, we talked about what your day looks like, but then, you know, you also are a major sewer, you do quilting, you do visual art. How do those things play into your life now? And you must have a teenager or something, right, too? I do. That little that little baby is 16 now. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like a, it's like living with Sasquatch. You know, you catch glimpses <laughs> <laughs> in the distance of this hulking creature. Um yeah, so so now I'm and I've always so I've always been very visual. I was always a visual person. I lived in Rome for a year. What a privilege. And when I did, I became a, an urban sketcher. So I, uh, for a while, I was doing sketching. I was sketching illustrations for my business, which was cool. You know, you can write off like all those really expensive watercolors and stuff. But um, <laughs> that was the main benefit. But uh, oh man, sketchbooks are pricey. You know, good ones. I I eventually came to a point where I I enjoy the separation. So apart from like using quilts for backgrounds for video sessions, I keep my my visual times, my time off, and my writing time and my Zoom time and recording time is is what I do for a living. And they 
they inform each other in some ways, but I also keep them kind of separate. So it's interesting because like you tagged me on Instagram, which was cool. We, we talked on Instagram, but I don't do any business on Instagram yet mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I noticed. I looked at your profile and I was like, is this the right Sonia? <laughs> I know, right? Like this is not- This is yeah, not what I know. No, there's no marketing on this at all. Um, I will have, I have the account. The new business identity is called Creative Fierce. And it just- you know, it's it just happened, that combination of things. And this is the course that you're um, talking about that you're gonna be building. It's the course, but it's also the community. Mm-hmm. So we'll have we'll have one of the things that I am making now, and we talked about this before the session. One of the things I'm making now is kind of a new platform. And that actually also came out of that slow business. So it's slow business, it's in Norway, it's in the most beautiful, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's absurd. I'm on the freaking, the, the speaking platform is on the fjord. Like if I was better at throwing rocks, I could have thrown a rock into the fjord. It's absurd. And um, speakers all sat around this long table, like the speaker dinner. You know, you always have a speaker mm-hmm. dinner. And this it's is on a raft on the water? It's it's like a- <laughs> Or sticking well, out like into a, the water? It's just, a, you're right on the edge. Mm. You're right on the edge. You're on the bank. You're on the bank of the fjord. I just have this image of you guys <laughs> chained on like a- like a thing in the middle of the plunging fjord. <laughs> right, right, right. So the speaker dinner, we're at this beautiful little, like, ancient building. There's a long table. Everything's very Viking, but you can't use the word Viking because they don't like that. But I'm just like, I've got metaphorical horns coming out of my head. I'm just <laughs> digging this so much. And we're all sitting around the table. Most of the, all of the speakers were women. And we're, you know, we're talking about things as one does. And we're all like getting louder and louder and just like, why is it like this? Why is it so screwed up? Why are our politics so messed up? Why why are male-female relationships so messed up? This is before the pandemic. It's like, why is the world not the way it should be? And we're looking from side to side, like, well, who's going to make it right? Well, maybe we should, you know, maybe that's us. Maybe it's us. And that vibe, I keep waiting. <laughs> because there's so many amazing people doing amazing things. Um, women, men, straight, gay, trans, cis, whatever. There's so many people doing amazing work. Pulling together that intersection of, you know, practical things and creative things. Because, because creative people are very practical. Nobody knows how to fix a vacuum cleaner like an artist, you know, like creative They're people. scrappy, man. They, yeah. Scrappy. They make it work. Scrappy. They make it work. Creative people know how to make it work. And they know how to solve problems that at first seem like it might be impossible to solve. It's what we do. That is what we do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So Creative Fierce is this identity. It has been coming together slower than I would like, but that's how I roll slower than I would like is like the theme of my, it's my theme song. <laughs> slow and, business. Um, That's what you signed up slow for. Business. <laughs> slow business. And, but yeah, I'm, I'm putting together a platform where we can come together and be creative and be fierce about a lot of things about business and creativity and politics and the dynamics between the privileged and the less privileged. And what do our privilege cards look like? And how can we play the ones we have? And just, the whole damn thing. So yeah. So I have a domain and a, 
and a web, you know, I was hoping to get that really launched, that website in September, slower than I would like, but it's, it's really close and it'll be very much a co-creation. I mean, I'm comfortable. I don't even know why, but I'm very comfortable standing up and saying, let's go do a thing. I, I have no problem being the, you know, Derek Sievers says the difference between a lone nut and a movement is one follower. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very comfortable being the lone nut to stand up and say, come on, who's with me? And just doing it. And where I got that confidence, I couldn't even tell you. I don't know. Just doing it, I guess. But not having a choice helps. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Uh, well, I think we need to wrap it up in a few minutes. If there are any questions, make sure you let us know. Yeah. But meanwhile, I'm going to look here for, yeah. Sue Ann says, slow business is often strong business in the end. I think that's right. I think, yeah. you know, really paying attention to. And I think one of the things that that becomes is very vivid for me from your story, Sonia, is that your you became disconnected and maybe were never fully connected to what made yeah. sense for you as a human being in terms of the way you were working, that you kind of slid from this corporate world into the content marketing world and enjoyed what you were doing, enjoyed the content of what you're doing much more, but maybe didn't question the circumstances of the way that you were working enough until you'd been doing it for so long and somebody asked you this question and boom, all of a sudden it all kind of like the scales fall from your eyes, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you again after all these years. How yeah. can people find you and find out more about Creative Fierce? Yeah. So the best way, um, I put together a thing that helps writers be more prolific. Uh, and I just hosted it. It's just unlockyourwords.com. So you can Google me, find me all kinds of places, find me on Twitter. That's great. Come ask me. But that is a free thing. It will help you write a little bit more. It's very, it's very helpful for people like me who have inconvenient brains, whether it's officially ADHD or just something else. Um, but yeah, unlockyourwords.com will, will get you a little thing that I wrote about getting more writing done, but honestly more creative work done of all kinds. And um, that, that, that signs you up for my email. You can go look at my stuff on Copyblogger. <laughs> There's lots and lots of it. I bet. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's good. I mean, like I look back and I'm like, I'm, I'm proud of that body of work. I think it's, I, I think it's good stuff. So, but yeah. And that, that will, if you pick up the, the PDF on getting more writing done, that's where I'll, I'll be letting people know about the next thing and then the new website and the course and all the, all the cool things that are coming. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, that is very, very cool. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks again. Great to have you. Thank you so much. It was really, really fun. Thank you so much for joining us today for The Autonomous Creative. Our show is produced by Matt Madden. Our production coordinator is Lucina Boyhandian. And our production assistant is Rhiannon Sunday. Music is by Matt Madden. And I'm your host, Jessica Abel. You can find all our takeaways as well as any links and extras we mentioned today, plus transcripts, in the show notes. Find everything you need at acpod.show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe. And it would help us immensely if you would take a second and pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It just takes a few seconds, but it's actually a huge help to us and to our guests to get this podcast suggested to new listeners. We appreciate your help so much. And we'll see you next time on The Autonomous Creative.